You are now listening to the Superhero Education Podcast, featuring Professor Eugene Pitchford and Dr. Steve Gurner. We are real educators tackling the real topics in education. Listen to be informed, inspired, and entertained. With no further ado, here are your hosts to the Superhero Educators Podcast. Welcome to our Superhero Education Podcast. We're thrilled you are listening. My name is Steve Gerner, and we have with us Eugene Pitchford III. How are you doing, Eugene? Man, stop saying the third. You, like, it's off limits. The third is what you're known by. Okay. That's how we know you. Welcome, listeners. How are you doing this week? And today we are excited because we have a passionate person with us, a leader with us, and we're going to have an imperative discussion with Michelle Bryant. How are you doing, Michelle? I'm good. I'm good. How are you guys today? We're good. doing great, and we're glad you're here. Very excited to have you here. And when we think of Michelle, we think of a superhero leader. We have in our book, we talk about one of the chapters is leader legacy. And that's really when we think of Michelle, we think of a strong superhero leader. You're a true leader, Michelle. And tell us, to start us off, getting right into it, what's your background? Who is Michelle Bryant? Um, well, first of all, let me just say welcome. Uh, thank you for having me on the show. Um, it is so cool to um, participate with you guys. Uh, so I am uh, someone that has been politically active and engaged for a really long time. Uh, have worked on uh, a number of political campaigns and um, issues in the community going back until roughly around the age of 11. And uh, so I have been someone that's been out here for a while, not a native of Milwaukee or of Wisconsin uh, transplant, but since I've been here, I have worked in politics, uh, child welfare, and uh, actually was the former executive director of African World Festival for about three years. So I currently uh, wear the hat of chief of staff for State Senator Lena Taylor. And I also uh, just got done volunteering on her campaign for mayor. And I am a former, as of a week or so ago, uh, host of local talk radio show on um, Black Talk Radio. Uh, and I did two shows for the, the station. So I have, um, have worked around the, the issue of politics and the field of politics for quite some time. You said politics at 11. Yes, yes. Um, so there was a, a gentleman, I came outside of my home one day and there was a gentleman uh, who was passing out uh, leaflets in our neighborhood. And I ended up asking him, you know, he, he handed me one and said, give it to your parents. So I took a second, I looked at it and I said, you know, so explain this to me, what are you doing? And he basically was running for a local aldermanic position. And um, I said, so if I wanted a park in my neighborhood, you could help me do that? And he said, yes, I could help you do that. And I said, okay. He said, but you gotta help me get elected first. And so I literally started working on this guy's team, putting out leaflets and um, you know, working to get stuff done. He ultimately was elected and I ultimately got my park. Uh, now, years later, he did go to jail, 
but, <laughs> but <laughs> so uh, you know I, and it was funny my brother told me about it years later after i had left uh left the state my brother said yeah you remember that first campaign you worked on yeah he went to jail but uh but i got my park out of it so that was my first taste of understanding that you had a voice and that you could make requests um if not outright demands of the folks that represented you and how powerful your voice was and how important it was to be a part of the process so tell us tell us a little bit um, you you rattled off the, with the african world festival chief of staff the black radio so all these things and and that's really what you're known for the voice and just advocating for people leadership tell us uh back it up even more to family like who instilled in you just, it seems like the work ethic, the leadership, what, well, how did that um, happen? So I am, uh, I talked about not being originally from Milwaukee. So I always like to say I have the best of both worlds. Uh, I was raised in New York, born in Birmingham, Alabama, and spent my summers in Birmingham. And ultimately I finished um, high school in Birmingham. So I got like a lot of New York tenacity and, and toughness and grit, a lot of Southern pragmatism. Uh, in terms of understanding um, history, understanding uh, social nuance, understanding that there have been real fights for equity in this country, real fights for equality. A lot of that started with my grandfather, um, Peter Bryant is uh, my grandfather, and um, a man who had a third grade education, but who made sure he worked super hard so that his children and his grandchildren had opportunities that he never dreamt of um, or that he never had an, uh, an ability to get for himself. And so we grew up understanding about the major civil rights issues of the day. Um, the 16th Street Baptist Church bombing in Birmingham, Alabama. You know, my family knew uh, members of the families of, of people that ended up being killed in those bombings. Um, the, the marches, my uh, dad fought in Vietnam. Uh, very socially and politically active. My mom, you know, uh, very, very much in tune with civil rights issues of the day. They imparted that stuff to us. We had these family discussions. So, you know, it was it was instilled in me from a very long time that to whom much is given, much is required. Um, education is huge in our family. And my mom always made me understand that the education was intended to be passed forward. Um, or to reach back and bring other people along. Yep. And so that, that's how I got started. Hey, you sound like my Aunt Gloria. I, I know she's <laughs> going to be listening, but you sound like my Aunt Gloria. Really? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I want to go to, I want to I bring it back up to current. First of all, you have the greatest Facebook Live posts. Like nobody's more intense than you. Nobody's more informative. And you have no notes. And so, like, I've done Facebook Live posts before where it's just live. It's hard to think and talk and that you, you have, like, just a natural skill. So, like, when your Facebook Live pop up, I, like, I stop what I'm doing. And especially last week with, with all the changes in the voting and just, like, if you put them together and just watch them, it's very interesting because we're, we're voting, we're not vote, well, no, we're, we, we, we're not going to vote. We're going to vote. We're not going to just, just how that whole process went was just amazing to watch. So I want to ask you this. How did we get into the spot 
from a Wisconsin standpoint or from a Milwaukee standpoint to where at the last minute, because I, I know you know this better than I do, but at the last minute, it seemed like just chaos is broke on all sides. How do we, how do we get to that point? Well, you know, first of all, when we talk about just as a nation and the way we have not adequately responded to the whole COVID-19 uh, situation, it, it, it was a launching pad for the way many states would have to try to figure this whole thing out and navigate on their own. Wisconsin wasn't unique in that struggle. I think in some regards, we came late to the table in terms of understanding the severity of the virus and understanding how um, life altering that this pandemic would be. And so we saw um, as the state elected officials and, and primarily the governor and leadership in the legislature were wrestling with how do we move forward that local elected officials were beginning to make decisions on their own. And so when we talk about what happened specifically with the election, and there were initial conversations that said, you know, we're looking down the road. It does not look like uh, we're gonna be able to control enough of the factors to move forward with this, this election in terms of actual election day. Um, maybe we should start talking about that. Well, Republicans in the state legislature have always been in opposition uh, to like the mail-in balloting that people uh, have done in other states. And so anybody that is aware of local politics, statewide politics, you understood that this was never going to be an issue, that we would be able to go to an all-mail-in system. But either way, um, people went ahead and um, put their, their voting plans in place that were already laid out. So in Milwaukee, we started with uh, in-person absentee uh, voting on March 16th. And for a week that went on. And then during the course of that week and a couple days before the, um, the balloting started, uh, we saw a declaration from the state of Wisconsin calling for a national emergency. About a week later, the city of Milwaukee calls for a national emergency. Now this was after in-person voting started. And so now it's kind of, you know, just playing volleyball, so, you know, knocking the ball from one court on one side of the net to the other to see who would pick it up, who would run, who would carry it. And um, then people began to realize that Milwaukee County and the city of Milwaukee in particular is a hot spot. So according to the election commission, they began to get uh, calls from concerned uh, folks saying that typically work the polls, we're not gonna be able to do this, we're worried about our health. And so bottom line, it just became a lot of people trying to anticipate what the needs were, but not having a unified plan across the state. It was uh, a problem because of political ideology and divide, uh, trying to protect existing seats, the state Supreme Court race was a factor in this decision. Actually, the upcoming presidential election was a factor in this decision because Republicans are on record as having said that they believe that if we had gone to something like a mail-in uh, ballot option, that fewer Republicans would get elected and that Donald Trump's re-election would be in greater peril. And they didn't want to set a trend of starting 
absentee, I'm sorry, mail-in balloting. Because one of the things that I'm contending is that we very well could and likely will be in this situation in the fall election. What do I mean by that? Very simply is that right now there is no vaccine for COVID-19. Uh, best guesstimates is at six to nine months. Worst case scenario, a year to an additional 18 months. And so we don't know, I remember you know, Donald Trump at one time talked about the fact that if the weather changed um, and it was a seasonal type of virus, as soon as the summer came, we, you know, we'd be done with this. Well, then Tom, I mean, uh, yeah, the actor Tom Hanks and his wife come out and say that they have uh, contracted COVID-19 and that they actually contracted it while they were in Australia. And in Australia, it was summer at the time. So the seasons don't seem to impact when you can contract this particular strand uh, of uh, coronavirus. So, you know, um, it, it just was a lot of jostling back and forth and we made some really bad decisions along the way. Gotcha. So as what I appreciate about you, Michelle, is you're, you're fierce fighting for your community, for the black community, for your neighborhood. And as you think about that and tie that into the voting, what, what's your message for the community? What, um, are they engaged enough? Um, do they need to be engaged more? Um, besides voting, you want everyone to vote, as much, obviously. What, what other message do you have that would help some of these things as we look across as voting, politics? education? Well, you know, um, it reminds me of the conversation that I had uh, several times of listeners to my show, uh, because people were trying to debate Barack Obama's um, tenure and what had been achieved, what hadn't been achieved, had African Americans made gains under his presidency. And, you know, I, I, I tell people, I always remember Barack Obama's last State of the Union address. And there was a line, and it wasn't an original. He uh, coined it from, I believe, Abraham Lincoln. Uh, but he paraphrased, and he basically said, I've been forced to my knees when I had nowhere else to go. The idea that there were days when Barack Obama literally felt like he was battling alone, or that um, because of the power structure, he wasn't able to get as much done as he wanted. And so one of the things I would say to listeners is that, you know, we have a tendency as a community, um, and it's not unique to the African-American community, but it certainly is clear that we do it. We elect people, and then we leave them yeah. on their own. We don't show up to committee meetings. We don't uh, come to town halls. We don't uh, support them when they're out front fighting and advocating, they usually only hear from us if there's a problem. Uh, the trash didn't get picked up, there's an outrageous pothole, um, there's some specific issue. And so trying to get people to understand that we have a responsibility as citizens to be civically engaged year round. That it's not just, you know, because we talk about Elected officials only come see us at election time. We only think about it at election time. And we don't understand the, the need to hold people accountable, the need to participate. We don't, we don't appreciate that. So one of the messages I've tried to consistently do or provide is to elevate people's awareness 
that this is not a, um, a, a sport that you get to watch from the sidelines. You got to get in there. You got to fight and you got to be willing to show up um, for most of the games. And so that's the thing I think is the biggest takeaway for me and that they got to be involved at every aspect of the, the spectrum in terms of politics. You know, we need people in the room while ballots are being counted this weekend. We need people on the election commission. We need people who understand uh, the process. And so that, that's probably the biggest thing I've been trying to stress. Are you seeing momentum in that area? I am. So first of all, you know, there is like this whole underground, undercurrent of uh, local activists that have figured out a way to utilize social media uh, to spread the messages to their particular constituency. And when this particular uh, election was happening and everything leading up to it, I was watching a lot of, of young people uh, who, who are engaged on a lot of levels, but they were holding uh, Zoom uh, conferences with the community to help explain to them what was happening and how they could be engaged and how they could fight back and how they could protect their right to vote. So yeah, I definitely uh, see that there are, are people that are ready to take the mantle and run and they just needed some, some guidance and direction. And the other thing for people not to be gatekeepers uh, because, you know, and, and, and it's about Young people show up ready to take it over and run. And a lot of them do it sometimes unprepared to lead. Um, hearts in the right place, have a degree of charisma that will attract followers, but you don't have the technical skills. You don't understand the, um, the rules of, of the game. And there are older people who, you know, have uh, been unwilling to relinquish power and not understanding that there's a role for all of us to play. And so, yeah, but I do, I feel real optimistic. Uh, and this time, so many people were disenfranchised that these people are not going to let this go. They will be more engaged going forward. All right. I want to talk about the virus a little bit more with you. Okay. Um, I, I believe you probably know Reggie Jackson. I do. Okay, Steve, I know you know Reggie. Yes. Okay, so Reggie had a post this morning where as of yesterday in Milwaukee, now we're just talking deaths from the virus, 67% black, 28% white, 2.7% Hispanic, and 1.4% biracial. And, and, I, and I guess my question to you is, from a north side, south side standpoint, and not to pit sides against each other because that typically is what happens, but how do we explain that? Is it, I mean, is it just that our health and our confinement is different from everyone on the south side? Like, and, and maybe none of us know this answer right now, but it just jumps off the page. Like, have you put any thought to that? Yeah, you know, um, and, and first let me just say that um, when my undergraduate degree is uh, African-American studies and politics. Okay. And so that kind of informs a little bit of my response. But before COVID-19, before the coronavirus, um, there were already health disparities within sure. and across communities. Uh, black people in terms of 
diabetes, in terms of high blood pressure, in terms of uh, obesity, in terms of poor diet. You know, we were already leading the charts uh, in negative factors uh, or negative outcomes. That people talk about this thing, social determinants of health. So poverty, education, uh, access to regular uh, uh, medical care, uh, just general you know, wellness checks. We already had an issue with that. But one of the things that I think for me, in addition to that, because all those things are very, very real. One of the things that I also am adding to the list is communication. Okay. Um, and what do I mean by that? So there was a period of time when in Milwaukee County, I believe, not the city, but more so the county is the one that's really been keeping track of this data. Um, and there began to emerge a pattern that the first 10 people that died in the city of Milwaukee were all African-American. And, but one of the things that we didn't see happen as they were also seeing who was testing positive, we didn't see targeted communication to this particular demographic. I actually live in one of the hot spots that was identified. I think they said it was Sherman Boulevard yep. to 51st Street and then Saint Joseph. Yeah, Keith to Locust. So right in that St. Joe's area. And I can tell you that at my home, we never received uh, anything from the health department, from the local aldermen uh, or elected officials to say, look, there is a trend and this particular community is getting hit really hard. Here are some things we need you to know. Um, there was no credible messengers sent to talk to the black community and, you know, and by credible messenger, people that the community uh, have a relationship with, that they know respect, that they're willing, you know, would likely listen to if they showed up. So the difference between Tom Barrett showing up in my neighborhood and me showing up in my neighborhood or, um, you know, Alderman Khalif Rainey showing up in the neighborhood is two very different things. And so I, I think that that's a factor. The other thing that I will add that is a, a, um, a more difficult thing to, to say out loud, but I think that people have begun to question whether or not it's a factor, is also how African-Americans are treated once they do present themselves uh, for needing medical assistance. We already had an overburdened system here in Milwaukee. Um, we already had hospitals that were turning people away. If, and this is pre-COVID, uh, if they thought that they were too busy. We had an African-American young woman die a couple of months ago, uh, going out to freighter, trying to be seen. They made her wait for several hours. She got frustrated, she left. Her family members tried to bring her back. She died on the way back to the hospital um, because of the wait time. But also how doctors perceive African-Americans when they uh, make medical complaints, when they talk about their symptoms. Um, are they treated the same, given the same degree of seriousness um, in the way that they are handled medically? I was very frustrated. We heard from a 91-year-old uh, who didn't get to vote uh, because he, his doctor believes he has the COVID symptoms but he wasn't given a test. He was just told to go home. But he presented the majority of the symptoms so much that the doctor quarantined him to his house. 
and I could I could attest to what you're saying. Um, and, and Steve knows this. Um, I've tried to get a test twice. Oh my god! And and haven't been able to um, obtain the test um, with majority of the symptoms. And it's 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 pretty much it's pretty. I don't want to say it's impossible, but I just don't have the right technique or formula to get the test. But I mean, but I don't I, think. You're unique. Most people don't even know where to go and how to get it started. And there is no aggressive testing happening in our city. When you decide that these are hot spots and you can look at the data, then what's the ability to aggressively test? Because on March 8th, Mayor Barrett, Jeanette Kowalik, the health department commissioner, and Congresswoman Gwen Moore held a Sunday press conference. And I remembered them talking about the fact that we had enough tests on hand to do 25 to 30 tests per day. Even when they said it on March 8th, that was nowhere near enough. I think our numbers are probably a whole lot higher in Milwaukee, but we're not aggressively testing. So yeah, what you describe is what I've heard just way too often. And those disparities that you're talking about, whether it's uh, health, whether it's community, communication, those disparities, those, those go even into, I like to pivot into education uh, and what we're seeing now. I want to get your thoughts on that. Uh, so now we see when we're talking uh, the largest district uh, in Wisconsin, Milwaukee Public Schools, and how, how do you think what's happening? What's good? What's bad? Obviously, um, when we talk about the disparity, I think what, what we see as far as when Eugene and I talk about it is you have some districts, social economically, they were able to take their Chromebooks and just go right in home and function as normal. And then you had in Milwaukee Public Schools, you had, well, come and grab, when you grab your breakfast or lunch, come and grab these worksheets, um, these optional worksheets. And I think there's a huge disparity that, that parallels what you're talking about with health and communication. I think education is another area that uh, we're very concerned about. What are, you, what are you seeing? So, you know, I, I certainly appreciate the idea that there are some communities that would be better positioned to navigate children being out of school right now. That there are parents who have the resources and the means, um, both financially, uh, in terms of access to technology, access to uh, the internet, um, and who are themselves uh, either college graduates, have some post-secondary education, and are able to assist their children, um, if not directly connect them into programs uh, that simulate a classroom setting. You know, but the interesting thing about Wisconsin overall is that you know, the, I don't think the needle has moved much on the fact that only 26% of the state's residents have a college education. And I had an opportunity to substitute teach for a like a quarter from September to December um, because I had wanted to understand what it was that teachers went through. And I always thought, oh, I'll be a really great teacher. Um, and until you walk in that classroom and you get your butt kicked. But I, um, I decided to do that and what became very, very apparent is number one, particularly when we were looking at Common Core, they were changing the way we do math. Yep. And, the, and so there were parents who were saying to me, why is my child not getting any homework? 
And I went to talk to the principal and I said, why aren't we giving homework? And the, parent, the principal said, because the way we're teaching math today is not the way the parents learned it. So they really wouldn't be effective. They really wouldn't be very helpful. And a lot of the children don't have people at home to help them. So why even bother to give it? We just worked doubly hard while we got them at school. So that was the first frustrating realization, again, pre-COVID-19. You couple that with uh, parents who are worried about um, making the rent. You know, April 1st has come. Uh, we have people who still have not been successfully able to file an unemployment claim in the state yet, and they've been trying for weeks. You couple all the stressors that go in with this. And um, I, am, I was just talking to a bunch of my friends that are educators a couple of days ago, and we, were, we are all so fearful that particularly black and brown children are going to suffer so greatly um, during this period and that the worksheets are not adequate. And we began to even talk about whether or not we could do something with social media that children could just tune in to Facebook Live and have a teacher there to walk. This is the you know time for third graders, fourth graders, eighth graders and pretty much what you should have been studying. Like we've been trying to figure out what can we do because we realize we are losing uh, a major portion of the academic year right now. And we don't know how badly our kids are going to be impacted as a result of it. Yeah, it's, it's, gonna, have a, it's gonna have a huge, a huge impact. And if you talk about like early in the show, the second wave or August, September, if we have to start back like this, like it's going to be detrimental. Like it's it's gonna, it's 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 gonna be insane. And one of the things that that we've talked about a lot on this show, it also stresses the importance of that teacher to student relationship, because Definitely. the teachers that that did not have no relationship with the students, they're not getting no work packet work. They're not getting no e-learning work or whatever whatever system a school is using. Um, it, it, it really sets apart the, the, the need for, um, for quality relationships. And I know, and I know that's kind of not the point of COVID-19 or the work packets and that, but there's also another connection and it, it comes straight down to relationships, which is probably very similar politically. Um, but I mean, if I could for just a second, even the other part of that, which is access to get the materials sure. because we saw this this period of time when all of these schools on the north side of milwaukee were being closed and our children were being bused outside of their their neighborhood uh and their neighbor and away from their neighborhood schools and so then you couple that with what just happened with milwaukee county transit yep. and yep. that we're limiting the number of riders to only 10 per bus um and so whether or not people are even having access to go get the, the packet, you know, cause I'll take it if that's all I got, but I don't even know that I have people that are in a position to even be able to go pick up the packet now. And that, well, that is the frustration that, that just drives me crazy is we, we do experiments. If you look at some of these things, we're doing experiments, but we're only doing experiments with with black children. We're only doing experiments a lot of times when in certain neighborhoods. 
And that, I think you can follow that trend. And that becomes extremely frustrating because it's immoral is what it is. Well, I, I totally concur, you know, but to the point that was asked earlier about um, engagement and participation, uh, because I just think that there is accountability across the board. I have black parents that I have been, you know, constantly saying, look, you gotta, you gotta play, pay closer attention. You gotta ask the tough questions. You gotta be willing to be a fighter um, on behalf of your child to, to understand where they should be and what they should be receiving. Now, again, I understand all of the ancillary uh, just noise that's going on in people's lives that prevent that level of engagement. But I've, I've told parents, it's the equivalent of seeing your child with a fever constantly getting worse and you never take them to the doctor. At some point, even though you didn't physically make that child sick, people will also begin to look at you and be like, well, didn't you see it happening? And you know, you're like, well, yeah, I did. So, you know, I, I, I believe that the onus, it, you know, it, 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 it rests with all of us. Um, and I just think about, like I said, my grandfather with the third grade education and, you know, systemic racism, uh, Jim Crow era policies that should have made, you know, these people retreat and they fought. Um, and they and so I always try to remind uh, people in the African-American community of what you made from, you know, the stock that you're cut from, that you, you know, like a lot of ethnic groups uh, have stories of heroism and people that were determined. Um, but when you look at the uniqueness of how African-Americans were brought to this country and what they survived to be here, you know, I need people to understand you are not helpless in this in this um, quest to get your child educated. Um, and if you don't have the necessary skills, do what my grandfather did, which is find somebody that does mm -hmm. and see if you can get an advocate for your child in that way. And that, let, me, let me get in one more question before you go, Dr. Garner. So from a political standpoint, let's, let's combine politics and education. Okay. What, what, What's the next step or what can be done politically to help provide a greater academic environment for public or private? Because it's, it's, at times it seems like they fight against each other. At times it seems that it's not a fight at all. Just from being an educator, just from being an educator uh, 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 myself, sometimes it just seems like I, I love when I hear education come up in debates, but often it doesn't come up. So hmm. like, what are you, what, what's the next steps to help education? You know, the sad reality is, is that politics literally does drive what we do around education. Political ideology uh, drives the decisions that get made in terms of funding, in terms of services, in terms of you know, uh, importance on the, the hierarchy of needs of a state uh, and the way we budget. When we talk about that nearly a billion dollars was gutted from public education. And I remember uh, reading an article about a, a Wisconsin school district, uh, a Northern Wisconsin school district that was 
having high school students from China come into their district um, and they were staying at like a local dorm uh, to be able to backfill their budget. And so they basically were charging these Chinese kids like um, they were going to a university, but they were actually going to a Wisconsin public high school because the schools were so limited in terms of funding. The way the system is set up right now, uh, and, and, it, and it's such a thing, it's a thing that I've never fully understood, or I do understand it, and I just don't want to admit what I think I'm seeing, but we, we get into these political fights about education, uh, choice versus public education, uh, should these institutions exist? Are we siphoning money from one or the other? Um, and I think about like where I've been in the legislature off and on for 15 years, uh, working as either a policy advisor, chief of staff, uh, policy staff for the Joint Finance Committee. And so I watch people say that they were willing to cut a billion dollars out of education. And you're like, who would do this? And these schools get stripped down to the bare bones. So no music, no um, arts, barely sports are happening. The things that made me wanna go to school. You know, I could care less about some of the main subject uh, areas in the beginning. It was literally about the fun stuff. And then I look at the people that are making those decisions to strip those dollars away, but their children go to some of the best, most well-rounded schools in the state. And you try to figure out how does that, that, that belief that of, of education that you want for your child, how does that not show up in the way we legislate? So I took the long way around to say, it really does matter who gets elected to these positions and the values that they hold um, because education won't change unless the people making the decisions legislatively value equal education, equitable education for everybody. I'll just end with this. I remember um, my, my, my good friend's mom, she uh, played baseball at a school in Mississippi um, like 60 years ago and while she was in high school. And she talked about how when the white school was done with their uniforms, they would hand them down to the black school. And to the, you know, the black students, these were great because they were better than what they had. But anyone looking at the outside understood you're still getting the hand-me-down. It's not equitable, it's not equal. And we just have people that don't seem to value that every child regardless of socioeconomic status, regardless of race, regardless of who my parents are or who my parents love or all of the other stuff that, you know, people let garbage uh, in and impact the way they, they make decisions, that every child deserves a, a fair and, 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 and as best we can provide well-rounded education. And the idea that they don't understand, when these children are armed and equipped with the best education that they end up taking care of all of us. They contribute, they don't leave. We don't have an exodus of, of um, 
millennials or, or the whatever the next generation is that are looking for something better. You know, we, we create opportunities. And so, yeah, so right now for me, the two are so um, intertwined, it's, 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 it's unreal, but it makes a difference who you put in office. And, and you ought to understand people's views on education when you're, when you're picking these folks. Yes, yes, the test always needs to be, would you want that for your loved one, right? When, when you go into schools, when you see what's happening in, in education, would you want your son or daughter there? Would you want your niece or nephew or your loved one there? Otherwise, you're right, it's set up as, as two different systems. Right. right. I have one more uh, question, and what I, I call it rapid response. Okay. And I want you to fill in, fill in the blank. <laughs> I'm going to give you a sentence and I just want you to end the sentence off with what comes to your comes to mind. Okay. So I have four of them. I wish educators were more diverse. I wish school leaders were more empathetic. I wish politicians would get a clue. <laughs> I wish Eugene. Oh, come on now. <laughs> you can use the same answer too, if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> I wish Eugene would give me his background. I love his background. <laughs> right. We, we, can, we, can make that, we can make that work for you. Wait, <laughs> I, I have some rapid fire ones too. Like, okay. so I didn't get to everything. Um, let's see here. When, you realized that the coronavirus was big when? Um, when I saw the um, when I saw when I saw the numbers uh, starting to crop up in New York. Okay. Blank makes a good leader. A listener, a good listener makes a good leader. One local and national leader that we should all be following. Hmm. Um, national, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to say Barack Obama. <laughs> uh, locally, uh, and I know that this will sound biased because I work with Lena and Lena and I actually went to college together, but I would say Lena Taylor. All right. And one more question. One more question. This is probably the toughest one. What will it take to get Milwaukee on one accord? Um, so, and not everyone will understand this when I say it, but I'm just gonna say uh, what we say in the South, a come to Jesus moment, um, which is when we literally realize that our fates are wrapped up in one another. Uh, because right now we don't understand that. And so it's easy to see success in pockets um, and people be indifferent to other communities because folks don't understand. Um, if they fail, I fail, or we fail as a, as a, a community. So that would be what I'd say to that. Gotcha. You passed the test. <laughs> appreciate it. Appreciate it. All right. So when we close out, we typically... Um, highlight things that we are doing individually or things that people should follow or know about. So when we, I usually go first, Steve goes second and you'll go third. 
make sure you include in yours where people can follow you and anything else you want to throw in there. Okay. All right. So here we go. All right. Um, I want the listeners. Well, first of all, thank you, Michelle, for coming on to our show. I'm sure our listeners learned a number of things. So we want to make sure we are able to apply all the jewels that you gave us. I want to, I want to point everyone out to our book, Superhero Educator. It's on Barnes and Noble and Amazon right now. Also the book Gumbo for the Soul, volume three, yours truly wrote chapter number 53. Steve, go ahead. I want to thank Michelle. You definitely are a superhero leader and I'm glad we were able to have this conversation. I learned so much and I know you always have a lot to offer for our community and for everybody that's listening. So I thank you for that. And I'd love to give a shout out to the Center for Urban Education Ministries, a national nonprofit group that's strengthening urban education. So get connected with the Center for Urban Education Ministries at www.cuemnational.org. Michelle? Um, well, first of all, let me just say thank you so much, guys, for having me. I am a fan of the podcast. I was familiar with the podcast um, before you invited me. Uh, so I just want to say thank you and thank thanks you. for the work that you do. Uh, I will just simply tell people that right now uh, I am working on either developing a podcast uh, for myself. Um, I do a lot of Facebook Live at Michelle Bryant uh, and you can follow me on Twitter as well. Uh, and if I just thought about a, a, a group of folks to shout out, you know, and this is back to COVID, unfortunately. Um, when we are in these stores and we see these people, Walmart, wherever, put an extra pair of gloves in your pocket and take them with and hand them to some of these workers because I'm being told that they're not being provided by the companies. And I just need to figure out a way to help take care of the people that are trying to take care of us right now. It's a great, it's a great, it's a great recommendation. I never thought about it like that. That's a, that's a really powerful recommendation. All right, we're going to wrap this show up. Um, thank you to the listeners listening out there. Thank you to Michelle one more time. Um, for our educators, we hope you have a great week and are able to apply what you learn today through e-learning or through your work packets or whatever you're using. Um, we're going to see you next week, same time, same place, and we are out. Thanks again for listening to our Superhero Education Podcast. We hope you gained valuable insights and key concepts to battle the chaos and save the day for all students. Boldly transform lives and be a superhero educator.